And I turn your attention uh, this morning to Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8 is where we begin the reading of our uh, text. And we want to read a few verses uh, in your hearing. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Peace, goodwill toward men. We want to uh, take our text uh, from the 10th verse. Uh, where uh, the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Our subject today on this Sunday before Easter is good tidings, great joy, all people. Good tidings, great joy. All people, would you bow your heads and pray? Lord, we are thankful to be in your house today. Thankful for your word. Thankful for this time of the year that we reflect back. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you robed yourself in flesh and came to this earth. We have been blessed, God, so many times in so many ways by your presence, by your glory, by your love. Once again, Lord, as we gather together with your people and your house under the banner of your name, we come, Lord, to exalt you. You're the common denominator that brings us all together. We ask you, Lord, now that you would, with the word of God, prick our heart and change us from the inside out. Let it just resonate in our minds and spirits. And Lord, as we exalt you, we pray, God, that the word of the Lord would change us and make us a new creature in Christ Jesus. Everybody said in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. The season, the setting, the context in which Jesus was born was a very interesting time in history. There was a lot of unrest. Most historians agree that his birth was around 4 B.C., possibly even late 3 B.C., but um, for sure by 4 B.C., the birth of Jesus occurred during a dreadful time in the history of what was already a troubled and turbulent land. King Herod the Great, he died shortly after the birth of Jesus in 4 B.C. amid political turmoil and religious unrest, and immediately following his death, the country entered a period of revolution and violence. During his reign as king, Herod had been a brutal, maniacal king, slaughtering many people and factions, including many of his own family members that um, were, he suspected, that were uh, guilty of treason. And they were, were, in, in addition to this, heavily taxed by local and even faraway rulers such as Rome, and some scholars believe that their taxation was between 50 and 60 percent of their income, 50 and 60 percent. And so as you can imagine, the unrest among the common people grew and it multiplied. 
Mary and Joseph's taxes, like everyone else's taxes, were used to boost the wealth of rulers, and the common people became very uh, dissatisfied with this arrangement. For Rome, Palestine was important, but it wasn't just for the taxes. It was it was also important to them because it strategically lay between Syria and Egypt. Two of Rome's most valuable possessions were Syria and Egypt. They dominated those lands as they did the Palestine area. But Palestine was sort of a land bridge between these two countries. And so Rome had uh, legions in both of those countries, but not in Palestine. Roman's uh, imperial policy required that Palestine be loyal and peaceful. And uh, if they did, uh, and they didn't undermine, you know, the, the larger interests of Rome, which was these other two countries, then they allowed to be under what was an arrangement called a client kingdom. And to be under an arrangement of a client kingdom, they gave a tremendous amount of power to the leader. It was almost like a partnership. And, of course, this was uh, King Herod the Great. He was uh, a brutal dictator, but he had the backing of Rome. And uh, he did a lot of things to appease um, the uh, Roman emperor. And so Herod remained king of uh, Judea from 37 to 4 BC. He reigned for 33 years and Rome backed him and so it gave him a a free hand to govern his kingdom as long as the requirements of stability and loyalty uh, were met. King Herod pretty much had carte blanche access to be able to rule with force and brutality and he did that with his own uh, people and uh, the whole concept of civil rights did not exist. If Herod wanted to uh, slit your throat, it was done. There were no questions asked. You had nothing you could say about it. And he did it on a consistent basis. Jesus was essentially born into a third world context with a military dictatorship. It was a society where everyone was coerced. And because of that, there was a tremendous amount of unrest. Herod was a thug. He was a murderer and the Jews hated him. So upon his death, upon the death of Herod, there were many factions that wanted to assert themselves and be in power, if for no other reason than to preserve their own lives and their own political parties. And so when Herod died shortly after uh, the birth of Jesus, the kingdom was divided into five parts. Most of the Gentile areas were separated from the Jewish areas, and there was a, a split between two of Herod's son. There was one son called Herod uh, Archelaus who received Judea, and he also received an area called Idumea as well as Samaria. Now, Samaria was non-Jewish, but it was part of this pact. And then the other son was Herod Antipatus, who received Galilee and Perea. In the New Testament, sometimes you'll see these sons referred to as Herod, just because they took their father's name, much as uh, Julius Caesar's sons would just take the name Caesar from their father. You'll read about this even in Luke 23, where it refers to Herod Antipatus as just Herod. But that was the son. That was not... Uh, Herod the Great. And so the sons of Herod took his name and the, both of these sons were not yet in favor with the Roman Empire like the father had been. So Rome gave them a lesser title than king, gave them time to prove their loyalty, to prove their governing ability. And so they were given lesser titles. Archelaus was given the title of Ethnarch and Antipas was given the title of Tetrarch. And so these non-Jewish areas, except for Samaria, 
were also assigned to three other ruling parties. One of them went to a third son by the name of Philip, and then another part went to Herod's sister called Salome, and then even part of it went to the province of Syria. The emperor Augustus, who was the emperor of Rome at the time, he became very dissatisfied with uh, Herod Archelaus. And in, in 6 AD, which means only two years that Herod uh, Archelaus ruled, uh, he was removed from his uh, position by the Roman government. And they transformed Judea, Idumea, and Samaria from being a client kingdom into being an imperial providence. Now, an imperial providence meant there was a different leadership arrangement. We read that under this uh, understanding of being an imperial providence, uh, Rome would send uh, a prefect. Uh, later on, that uh, title would become known as a uh, procurator, or even uh, the Bible refers to them as governors. And this individual was a minor Roman aristocrat who, of course, had connections, political connections with the Roman government. And they were put in these areas where they were imperial providences. And they were given a, a small uh, Roman army of approximately 3,000 men uh, to sort of be there to keep the peace, to keep the order. And the scriptures often uh, uh, refers to this man in terms of being a governor. In fact, this was the position that Pontius Pilate held. And course he was referred to as a governor he he served as a prefect from 26 AD to 36 AD but the Romans really did not enjoy staying in Jerusalem proper they didn't like the desert they didn't like the heat they really didn't like being there and so uh, their city that Herod the Great the father had built for the emperor was a city that was very beautiful much of it still remains called Caesarea by the sea it was on the coast right over the Mediterranean. He put in the, uh, the, the Hippodrome and they put in the, uh, the amphitheaters and all the things where the, the Roman soldiers and the Roman leaders could have uh, the comforts of home there. And so they all hung out in that area. It was about a two-day's march to get from Caesarea by the sea uh, over to Jerusalem. And so they, they were there, but they were there in an official capacity almost just to make sure nothing happens, you know, that's uh, causing too much unrest and gets back to Rome and threatens their job. But for the day-to-day -day operations of running it, they weren't really interested in that. And so they would have some local leader that they would put in charge. And, and uh, of course, this is uh, the role that oftentimes fell to uh, the high priest. He became the local leader and he served with a council. And uh, the Romans would stay over in the Gentile city of Caesarea by the sea and, and they would sort of back the high priest and the council to sort of run the day-to-day -day operations of, of Jerusalem. And, and they would come into town during uh, some of these pilgrimages that would be festivals such as Passover and Pentecostal. And they would come into town, the Romans would come, they'd march up from Caesarea, a couple of days journey, they'd go into Jerusalem, they'd all stand around just kind of as, as a show of force and to show that, you know, they supported the high priest, they supported the council, and they were there just to kind of watch over it. You say, well, why would they come up during the pilgrimage festivals? Well, that was a time when there were large crowds would come into the city and there were all sorts of patriotic themes that would sometimes combine to spark unrest and uprisings. And so the day-to-day -day basis of running uh, Israel, Jerusalem per se, was governed uh, by a man by the name of Caiaphas. He was uh, the high priest. And though he had the assistance of the council, he, he also had a difficult task of mediating between the remote Roman prefect, which was over uh, in Caesarea, and then, of course, their uh, leaders and their rulers back in Rome, 
he kind of had to serve as a liaison between that crowd and then the local populace. Now, the local populace were very hostile. They did not want the Romans anywhere near them. They did not want them occupying their land. They didn't believe in all their paganistic idols and all the things that King Herod the Great had done to pacify them. They wanted to be totally free of foreign interference. And so this, this, this high priest, he, his political responsibility was to maintain order and, and to see that tribute was paid. Uh, but Caiaphas, during uh, uh, this reign, uh, this was the man who served in this position during Jesus' adulthood. He held the office from 18 AD to 36 AD, longer than anyone else did during the Roman period, which would indicate that he was a successful and he was a reliable diplomat for the Roman government. And since he and and, uh, Pontius Pilate were in power together for approximately 10 years, no doubt they collaborated often. And of course, we know that they collaborated during the crucifixion of Jesus as Jesus went from Caiaphas' house to Pontius Pilate. And this was the setting upon which Jesus was uh, born into. Now, we see as Jesus grows and becomes uh, older, Galilee is governed by this tetriarch Antipas who was sovereign within his own domain. And then it was provided that he remained loyal to Rome and maintained peace and stability. And, and of course, they saw these leaders as being those that portrayed their own people. And then they had these other factions that were there to govern the Gentile uh, regions and the Gentile cities. Uh, but the actual daily rule of Jerusalem was under Caiaphas and his council. So all of this political posturing and positioning was tenuous at best. From the prefect to the peasant farmer, everybody was on edge. You think you're on edge in our political climate today? We have no idea. We're talking about soldiers marching down the street. We're talking about uprisings on a daily basis when a Jewish uh, zealot would try to come and, and slip a dagger up under the arm of a Roman soldier and then the beating to death in the streets of that man and rounding up his accomplices. This was a daily activity. And this is the climate that Jesus was born into. You might as well forget about peace. Peace was a passing fancy. Unrest was a daily occurrence. And yet, Jesus is born. God robed in flesh in the midst of all of this. Now, it may give you context to understand that when the sky lit up on that starry night in Bethlehem and heaven unleashes this heavenly host, it is no wonder that the shepherds were afraid. It's no wonder that they were fearful. And the first thing that the angel proclaims to these bewildered shepherds is, fear not. Have you ever had anybody tell you to fear not when you're really afraid? That is easier said than done. I know when I was a, a, a young boy, uh, just in uh, maybe... Five, six, seven years old, I was a kid. I was afraid to sleep by myself in my room. And I had an older sister. And so I would lay there at night in my room and, and I would close my eyes. And I just saw all kinds of things coming at me. And uh, I just knew that I was going to be attacked at any moment by all sorts of unspeakable uh, ghosts and goblins that were under my bed. And just the way a, a shirt is hung on a door looks like something's fixing to come at you and take your head off. So... 
I would uh, crawl my hands and knees into my sister's room and go up under her bed and try to stay and lay there as still as I can. And, and uh, I would think I'm safe here because no one can find me. And two, they'd have to go through my sister to get to me. So this is a safe place to stay. And when my sister would find me as she would every evening, she would uh, not just put me out of her room because she's a very loving, caring person, but she, she would give me a pep talk and she would try to encourage me. And she would say, fear not, David Ellis Myers, go back to your room. And though she had the right intentions, I quickly learned that you can't rationalize fear. There are people afraid of COVID that are hiding in their houses and they have been all year. And you and I can say, what's the matter with you? Come out, it's fine. But fear is not logical. Fear is not rational. Fear is fear. You can tell somebody, you know, hey, I don't know if you've ever had this experience before. Have you ever been over here off the coast, you know, the Atlantic Ocean and get caught in a riptide? And, and you have this current that's pulling you out to sea. And everything in you says you're supposed to swim parallel to the coast if you get caught in a riptide. And when the strength of the current lessens, then you calmly swim ashore and you get on the beach and everything's fine. But when you're in the ocean and all of a sudden a current that's ten times stronger than you says, I'm going to pull you out to sea. You may know what you're supposed to do. But the only thing you can think of is, dear Jesus, don't fail me now. As arms and legs are flailing wildly. And you're trying to get to shore. We appreciate those that would say, fear not. But we need a little something more than that. I ought to get a witness from somebody. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Angel, for those words of encouragement. Fear not. But I don't know if you look behind you, there's a thousand UFOs behind you. And they're all brightly lit up and they're singing and they're shouting. And we are afraid. Well, thankfully the angel did not stop with only the words fear not. But the next thing the angel says, which I believe is Gabriel, he says, I bring you good tidings. Now let's talk for just a moment about this. Because the word tidings means news or information. So literally, he said, I bring you good news. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but we have enough bad news that finds us. You don't have to go looking for bad news. Bad news will find you. You may just be checking to see what your messages are on your phone, and bad news will find you. But every once in a while, such as happened to me here a few days ago, a friend of mine texted me and said, I have good news for you. Now, when I get a text that says, I have good news for you, that text moves up to the top in the priority list. Because I have to find good news. Good news, I don't know if you're like this, but good news is not something that just shows itself. you got to go hunting for good news. you got to go looking for good news. But boy, when someone says, I've got good news for you, your ears will perk up. Did I get a raise? Did the vacation get approved? I mean, when someone has good news, you want to know what it's all about. 
Because good news is a different story. And I think that you'll agree with me that in spite of the unrest in our culture, and in spite of a year of COVID and cancer and everything being thrown at us, uh, we have some good news. I said, we have some good news. I choose to focus on the good news. I choose to focus on the gospel because the word gospel literally means good news. Oh, I've got good news for you. The good news is that Jesus is our Savior. That Jesus is alive and well. And that Jesus is on the throne. Isaiah 40 and verse 8 says, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringest forth good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem. <laughs> you got to get up high where you can shout it. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, your Lord God will come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him. Oh, I've come with the strength of my voice to stand on a high hill and to declare to anybody that will hear it, we've got good news. We've got a God that's a powerful God. He's stronger. He's bigger. He's better. He is a God that can do anything. And his name is Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. Good tidings, good news brings confidence. It is a message of victory. It is a message of strength. In the middle of political and spiritual unrest, the angel says, I bring good tidings. I have a message of hope and strength. And the greatest thing that this world needs is good tidings. We're going to make it. Oh, I feel the boldness of the Holy Ghost for just a moment. I'm going to pause and stay here. Maybe somebody needs this. We're going to make it. It's the church triumphant. It's been through the fire and the fire couldn't burn it. It's been through the storm and the storm couldn't turn it. We're going to survive COVID and cancer. We're going to survive political unrest and financial unrest. We're going to survive not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Because we have a savior. So I've got good tidings for you today. Jesus, a savior is born. And he's still here. And he's still alive. And he is close to his people. We have a message of strength. We have news of victory. Those four lepers that sat on the outskirts of the city of Samaria, they had been thrown out of Samaria because they had a highly contagious disease called leprosy. It was highly contagious. And it would just slowly eat away at these human bodies. They would lose digits, fingers, toes, eventually limbs. and So they were thrown out of the city. They were on the outskirts of the city. But then the very intimidating and brutal army, the Syrian army, came and laid siege on Samaria and decided that they would starve them out. And so they created a blockade. And they wouldn't allow any goods to come in and go out. And no people could come in and go out. And they surrounded the city of Samaria. And they were very uh, affluent. And they were very skilled. And they were killing machines. And, and everyone was fearful of the Syrian army. And so 
the people in the city of Samaria begin to start it. The Bible is very clear in describing how bad it got where they would try to buy pigeon dung to eat because they were so hungry. And so you got this city that's starving to death, that people are dying every day from starvation. you got this mighty Syrian army that's decided to just wait them out, that surrounds the city. And then you got these four lepers that are sitting on the outskirts of the city. You talk about being between a rock and a hard place. You can't go into the city. They're all dying in Samaria. They wouldn't allow you in there anyhow. And if you go to the Syrian army, they're going to probably cut off whatever arms or, or legs are left they were a people that would, would cut off limbs and put them in bamboo cages and parade them around to, to get a nation to just surrender by intimidation so they wouldn't even fight here. They were brutal people. And these four lepers are sitting there going, what are we going to do? Are we just going to sit here and die? And someone says, well, if we sit here, we die. If we go to Samaria, we die. And if we go to the Syrian army, we probably will die. But at least that option has a probable associated with it. Which means it's possible, if not probable, that the Syrian army will treat us well. And he, I can just see them lepers looking at each other. Apparently you're missing part of your brain too, Jed, because that's the Syrian army. That's not the Salvation Army. That's the Syrian army. They do not care about you or me. They'll kill us. Well, why don't we try? So they go, and of course, as they go, you know the story. The, the Lord had sent this great uh, uh, sound from heaven, and it had convinced them all that there was uh, armies that had been hired by uh, the Samaritans, and they had come in, the Hittites and the Jesuits and all the ites had come. And, and it really, there was no, it was just the, the heavenly host. And of course, they were all fearful, and they got up and ran. Now, when they ran, they left tents that were full of money and food and gold and silver and raiment. They left everything as it was, and they just took off running for the hills. So they take off. It's amazing how God works. And so here comes these four lepers. They got their sticks, and they're struggling just to walk and put one foot in front of the other. And they get there. Hello! Hello! And they're looking around the camp. There's nothing there. There's pizza boxes left open. There's chicken wings from Wild Wings. Everything's hanging around. They've got all this takeout. And all of this food is there and gold and silver and raiment. They just stuffed themselves and stuffed themselves and they're putting all the gold in their pockets and they're, they're, they just couldn't hardly believe it, you know. They're just, they're thinking that somehow this must be a trap, this must be an ambush. But the longer they stay there, nobody shows up and then finally they go, what are we going to do with all of this? Why don't we, we need to go to Samaria and tell those people, those people are dying in that city. And someone's going, I'm not going to tell them, they threw us out of that city. And besides, why go and tell them too soon? Let's wait a little while. I'm going to be hungry again in an hour or so. I've spotted one tent that's got food and we haven't even been over there yet. They got grape leaves in that tent. I'm going over there next. They got tabbouleh over there. We're headed over there later on. Telling y'all some of the Mediterranean food I like. And then finally one of them said this, and I read this and I just couldn't get away from it. 2 Kings 7, one of them lepers. I don't know who he was. I don't know if he was the leader, but here's what he said. This day is a day of good tidings. And if we hold our peace, if we tarry till the morning light. Somebody said, let's just wait till tomorrow. tomorrow at least give us this day to enjoy it. And he said, nah, this is a day of good tidings. This is the day of miracles. This is the day of good news. And if we hold our peace and if we tarry until the morning light, 
some mischief will come upon us. We, I don't know if you've looked, but we're not going to be able to defend all of this, the four of us. And if we wait, trouble's going to come. So therefore, let us go and tell the king's household. Oh, hallelujah. Let's go and tell the king's household that today is a day of good tidings. They may not even believe us. And they didn't believe them at first. Hey, they're knocking on the big gate. You guys are not coming in. We told you, you're not allowed. Hey, the Syrians are gone. Look at my big belly. There's food all over there. Just send a search party out there. Get away from here. I'm going to go tell the king if you don't leave. They had to go round and round and round with him. Finally, they sent a search party out. And all the whole city rejoiced the blessing. Now, here's why they did. Because four guys said, this is the day of good tidings. Oh, my friend. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. You have got a testimony. You got a, I believe there's a responsibility that goes with the testimony. This is the day of good news. This is the day of good tidings. This is not the day to bury our head in the sand and say, oh, woe is me. This is a day to tell the king's household, to tell your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers and your family members in just a few days at Christmas. Hey, I've got some good news for you. Jesus is king. He's got provision for you. He's got joy for you. Peace on earth. God's always going to have somebody on the outskirts that's going to be used as a messenger. You say, well, I'm not an official minister. I'm not, you know, the appointed messenger, spokesperson from heaven. Do you have a testimony? Do you have $15? (laughs) Somebody got that one. I think it was my father-in-law. <laughs> all you got to do is buy a book. I wrote it. I did it all for you. I'll even sign the front of it. I'll put your family member's name in there. All you got to do is have a witness this Christmas. Hey, I've got good news for you. I want to tell you what Jesus has done for me. Yes, I know there's a lot of strife and stress in the world, but Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the hope. If there's ever been a time for the apostolic Pentecostals to declare, hey, this is the time of good news. This is a time of great joy. Jesus is king. Jesus is alive. Jesus loves you. Come on, we got to share it with the king's household. We got to tell everybody we know this is too good to keep to ourselves. It's designed to be spread. Yes, I say unto you that I am the King of Kings. 
word from the Lord. If God can use four lepers on the brink of death, what's our excuse? So I have come today with good tidings, but not just good tidings, good tidings of great joy. The news is good news because it produces great joy. When Mary was pregnant with Jesus, she too was visited From an angel. She went to see her cousin Elizabeth up in the hill country, up in Judah, the Bible says. She was pregnant with John the Baptist. She went up to that place to tell her the good news. The Bible says that when she greeted her cousin Elizabeth in Luke 1, salutation, the declaration, the good tidings on her lips, my soul doth magnify the Lord. My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaid. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. And Elizabeth says, for lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped for joy in my womb. Ladies and gentlemen, good tidings of great joy bring something supernatural to the soul of a human being. There is nothing that can fill your life with joy like the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like the declaration that he is a mighty God. Gabriel, the messenger angel of the Lord, declared to Zacharias. He said, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. And I am sent to speak, to speak unto thee and to show thee glad tidings. He identified his qualification as one who stands in the presence of God. All you need. To bring glad tidings is to be one who dwells in the presence of God. You say, well, pastor, I don't know. I don't have all the qualifications. If you have ever dwelt in the presence of God, you ought to say, I am one that's going to declare the greatness of God and the joy of his word will transform your life. Who are you? 
I'm David Ellis Myers, and I stand in the presence of God. Who are you? I'm Calvin Jenkins, and I stand in the presence of God. Who are you? I'm Don Reed, and I stand in the presence of God. Who are you? I'm Molly Holton, and I stand in the presence of God. If you've ever been in his presence, you've got good tidings of great joy. Jesus the same angel visits Mary six months later she's scared to death the angel says Mary thou hast found favor with God and behold thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary says to the angel, How shall this be? Seeing that I know not a man. Let me break that down and interpret it for you. How is it possible that I could have living in me something that was not given by man. And the angel answered and said, here's your answer. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. If you've ever heard the gospel, if you've ever heard the preaching of the word of God, if you've ever been in the presence of God, the next step for you is to be filled with the Holy Ghost. For the Holy Spirit of God to not just overshadow, but to overflow and overfill your being. The power of the highest shall over. Shadow thee. The good news is a message of the Holy Ghost. The Feast of Pentecost that we read about in Acts 1 and 2 and the followers of Jesus were in the upper room. This was a time of political unrest. Once again, two uprisings, they tell us, and numerous executions had happened even that week, even in the short time that disciples were gathered in the upper room praying. But in the midst of that chaos, in the midst of that crisis, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one place, in one accord. And suddenly, here we see it again, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, humanity is filled with something that did not come from man. Once again, humanity is filled with something that did not come from man. The crowd was amazed. Some mocked them. Some said that they were drunk. All these people that had gathered together for the feast of Pentecost. But Peter stands up in the midst of 3,000 people and declares, These are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. But this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see 
see vision and your old men shall dream dreams and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy one more time one more time there is good news of great joy in a climate of unrest and I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord shall come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You skip down to verse 37. The Bible says that when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then in verse 38, Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive, here we go again, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's still the same Spirit of God. You talk about a gift. There's no greater gift at Christmas. There's no greater gift any time of the year than when a man or a woman receives the power of God in their life and they're overshadowed with His Spirit. That's the good news. That's the great joy. That's the power of God. Oh, you ought to lift your voice and shout. Shout with the voice of strength and triumph. You can remain standing for this promise, Peter continues, is unto you and your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Everybody say all people. The angel said these are glad tidings. This is good news of great joy for all people. Peter proclaims that this gift is for all people. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygian, Pamphylian, Egypt, parts of Libya about Cyrene, strangers of Rome, Jews, proselyte, Cretes and Arabians, Palm Bay, Melbourne, Lavard County, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, North America, South America, Central America, Asia, Turkey, China. I don't care where you're from. It's for all people. It's for whosoever will. It's the great joy of the power of God. They were all there. The Bible says that even Mary was there. Even Mary is receiving this miracle. Oh, pastor, I don't think that's for me. Even Mary, who had been overshadowed by the Holy Ghost, had to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And then Paul continues in Romans 8, but if the Spirit of Him... That's this Holy Ghost we're talking about. That raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies. How? By His Spirit that dwelleth in you. It's the gift of the Holy Ghost 
that's going to catch us away when the Lord comes back. The message in tongues that you just heard, we have been getting them on a regular basis in the last few months. Jesus is proclaiming the good news. I'm coming back. It's good news of great joy for all people. Come on, the Lord is declaring it once again. He used Gabriel as his messenger to declare it. He declared it to Zacharias. He declared it to Mary. I believe he declared it to the shepherds. But oh, my friend, he's not done yet. There's one more time. The message has got to be proclaimed. The message of hope, the message of peace, the message of strength, the message of joy. One more time, it's got to be proclaimed. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Jesus. One more message. One more declaration. The sound of the trumpet. The shout of victory. No more tears. No more sorrow. No more unrest. It's the message of joy for all people. It's the message of hope in a troubled world. It's what brings peace on earth. It's what brings worship in the heavens. And it's what is available to you today. Would you lift your hands and your voices all over this? Come on, make your way to this altar you've never received the Holy Ghost or you've had it by for 50 years come on here I come I'm coming down to an altar I'm going to lift up my hands and I'm going to say God here I am I received the message and I rejoice with exceeding great joy for you're not very far from any one of us you're just as close as the mention of your name oh that's it just step out where you're standing come on make your way down or lift up your hands where you're standing in your seat. But come on, all over this building, there ought to be a concophony of praise. There ought to be a shout of victory. One more time, there's going to be a shout. There's going to be a shout. The voice of the archangel. The trumpet shall sound. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. 